and welcome in again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast live and on Sport FM in Perth. Daniel Bezwick here alongside Nick Skinner and it's a, a winning pod, I think we can call it, uh, with the Under-19 Women's Cricket World Cup. Some excellent results from an emerging cricket standpoint and we'll get to that in a moment. But Nick, uh, first of all, how's things? Uh, the first time we've been truly tested, I think, with a time difference. It's uh, about 6.30 in the morning here. Uh, nice little time for you, all tucked up and uh, ready to talk some cricket. But uh, how's life? Well, the sun's actually starting to stay out a bit longer. It's um, light until around five o'clock, which is a bit more reasonable these days. Um, I, I see you're putting the aircon on at, uh, you know, seven o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the morning. So yeah, it's still warm. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's an interesting contrast. And the light actually is one thing. It's just I, I don't know. The light's just different here. It, it could, you know, even seeing it on the Zoom call. It's just so much brighter in Australia, whereas the sky just seems a bit pale all the time, even when it's the middle of the day. So it's just an interesting little difference. But uh, yes, hopefully you're doing well, Bez. Oh, I can't complain. Uh, yeah, it's the start of a, a work day, so it's sort of a, a grumpy kind of wake up here just <laughs> in the mm, morning at about not, not the best 6 a.m. But hey, I mean, I had to get out anyway, right? And uh, I don't know if it means I, I get through more stuff earlier than... It's ultimately a good thing. And yeah, Mel's away at the moment. She's actually in Vanuatu, not with Tim, but uh, they did manage to catch up. Tim picked her up from the airport. She's doing a, a uni course that is an all-intensive two-week course on South Pacific law at the University of South Pacific in Port Villa uh, as part of her degree Interesting. here in Sydney. Yeah, it's a really cool concept. Is she talking to Jamal Vera at all? I know he's studying law there as uh, well. Apparently, uh, he, he's driven past in the car and she's noticed the Vanuatu Creek car around town but hasn't run into Jamal <laughs> as yet. But caught up with Tim. Um, she actually stayed with Tim a couple of nights because uh, the accommodation wasn't ready yet. So good to kind of have connections there. And yeah, she's walking past the VCG every day on her commute between her accommodation and uh, the university. So happy, happy memories after our last visit there, which was, yeah, which is good. That VCA car is is notorious too. You know, I'm, I'm sure she sees it a lot of places around yeah. town. Yeah, Tim's picking up lunch in town in it as well well and you know both Jamal and TC give it a good spin around the town let's talk some cricket Nick because uh, we've got a victorious pod in Rwanda have created history by winning their first ever match uh, at an ICC global event of any kind and if you were to go even further it's uh, their first win at a World Cup in any sport at any age group level. Wow. They beat uh, African rival Zimbabwe yesterday. We sort of split things up with the time difference here. So uh, between the both of us, you know, I watched sort of Rwanda take on Zimbabwe and it was too late to watch Indonesia West Indies. So we'll, we'll get to that game as well. But just as a sort of a general start to the conversation I think so far the under 19 women's world cup has been excellent and not just from an associate standpoint I think it's been a great tournament held thus far Bangladesh beating Australia is a is an excellent result and shows that women's cricket in the next sort of five to ten years is is said to be a hugely exciting period but to turn it back to associate cricket and Rwanda threatened against Pakistan the other day they they made a score just under 110 uh, and had Pakistan in a little bit of trouble before Pakistan sort of found that one partnership to get them home. But to bring it to their victory over Zimbabwe yesterday, they made 119 for eight. Uh, they were pulled back. It looked like they were going to score potentially 125, 130. Jazila Shimwe was great in the middle order, but it was set up by a nice opening partnership 
uh, Owase and, and Tuzere. Tuzere in particular was good. They saw off the danger of Kellis in Lobu and, and some of the other dangerous bowlers in that team. Uh, put up 119 for eight. Gisela Shimwe made 34 off 23 balls, hit five boundaries. And then in reply, it was an excellent fielding and bowling performance by the entire group. And probably the difference in the game when you sit down and look at it, Zimbabwe gave up, I think, 20 extras. And in reply, Rwanda only gave up 11. And it does help when your fielding is up to scratch too. I thought Rwanda's fielding was far superior in every facet. Uh, Gisela Shimwe's run out of Adele Zamunu probably sealed the game for Rwanda. Uh, but they were excellent. Henrietta Shimwe took, well, we could debate if it's a double hat-trick or not, but four wickets in four balls to end that game. Three bowls and an LBW in that. So an unassisted double hat-trick, if you, if you want to use the term. But uh, excellent with the ball all the way through. She actually opened the ball and it came back in the end of most of her damage. And just, I just didn't really see a weak point in the fielding and bowling performance. Rosina Rara and her off-spin was excellent, well-controlled, flighted, took the, the pace off the ball, rather slow off breaks, but just too good for, for anyone that came across her. I thought uh, Cynthia Rara was good too. Gisela Shimwe, 1 for 14 with a maiden in there. And Zurafat was excellent too. Picked up the wicket of uh, Kellis in Lovu and uh, Natasha Mutomba, who were probably two of the better bats in the Zimbabwe team. And then Giovanna Sawase with one for three or two overs to, to kind of back everyone up. But uh, Henrietta Shimwe's double hat-trick, I think, took all the headlines by the end of it. But I think overall it was an excellent team performance and they thoroughly deserved the win. Yeah, and team performance, I think, is the, the key point there. You know, you, 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 you talked about their fielding. The fielding was very good. There was um, that great run out uh, from Giselle Ashimwe. You know, they were taking all their catches. They took some sharp chances in the field. Uh, there was a good stumping that was a lovely piece of bowling as well. Off Irera, great piece of bowling to draw Kay Indiraya out of her crease. And yeah, sharply uh, taking the bat off there behind the stumps uh, with Asimbe. Uh, I think overall the batting also, you know, I, they they left probably 20 plus runs on the table. You know, they were yeah. looking very good. They were, you know, two for 100, three for 100. Then, yeah, they, they lost a... Uh, a number of wickets, um, you know, the sort of back half of their innings, they're all single figures dismissals. Uh, so I think, in, you know, including <laughs> including three ducks. So good, you know, credit to Zimbabwe. They, they pulled it back effectively. Um, you know, Chipo, Moyo and uh, Chigora got some wickets there and, and, and put a lid on Rwanda. But on the other side of things, that is encouraging for, Rion, for Rwanda because... You know, that that means they can still get better. They're not, you know, at their capacity. They, they, you know, if the back end of the batting order can actually perform a bit, they're on track to trouble some some even better teams. As um, we kind of assume they'll make the uh, the next round, um, unless something uh, kind of miraculous happens with with Zimbabwe's final game against Pakistan. I think it's pretty safe to say that uh, that we'll be seeing more of Rwanda, and you know, their batting can still get better. So that's 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 encouraging. I think one interesting point about their batting is that their techniques look kind of less polished than even Zimbabwe or, you know, think, looking across at the West Indies game, which I watched, um, just in terms of the way they're holding, they're moving, their, their feet, their sort of body position. They just look slightly awkward, but they're effective and, and there's no... It's not that they're not hitting the ball out of the middle. They're, they're hitting the ball out of the middle. And I'm just wondering if that's maybe coming through a non-traditional cricket scene and there's there's less, uh, I guess, coaches 
who can't have an idea of what what a cricket batter is supposed to look like. And so someone like, say, the West Indies, uh, where I believe a number of the players um, have uh, relatives who've either played for West Indies or who have been involved in cricket for. So uh, I'm sure they've been coached from a very young age to, to bat a certain way. Uh, which is, you know, the, the way that we would expect a batter to look. And, you know, the, the Rwanda batters uh, uh, look a little bit different and, and, they're, and they're still winning games. So I think that's um, that's an interesting point about cricket kind of in uh, non-traditional countries. Obviously, um, <laughs> the Henriette Oshimwe 4-in-4, uh, four four, I, I don't think you should call it a double hat-trick. It doesn't, that, the logic doesn't really make sense to me, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, obviously... Uh, that grabbed the headlines. Four Yorkers, three Bolds, and one LBW. <laughs> Can't really do much better than that. Um, somehow Giselle Ishimwe got the Player of the Match award and not Henriette, which is uh, an interesting decision from you know whoever was choosing that. But uh, you know, well well played against against Zimbabwe, and um, that's a great stat you found. Their first win at any World Cup at any level in any sport. They've, this is this is great for cricket in Rwanda, and I'd say it vindicates the strategy. Um, that a number of associate teams are following, which is to prioritise the women's game and to, to grow the cricket through that. Yeah, uh, to talk about the, the player of the match decision, I think what must have sort of been the argument between the panel was just that uh, Giselle Shimwe's knock was uh, a little bit more match-defining and then the match, I think, was sealed with her run-out and before that 4-4 four and four from Henriette. That's probably the only argument. I, I kind of get if... Nick Nick hates batters, so um, I'm not sure if if he if he's the the most unbiased judge in all of this. But that stat, I mean, I'm 99 sure that's right. I mean, it, if someone is able to find one elsewhere, let me know. But yeah, you look at some of their other sporting achievements as as a country. They have one Paralympic medal. They don't have an Olympic medal or a Commonwealth Games medal. Uh, they've won. I think they've beaten. Angola in a African basketball championships on the men's side, which is a pretty big deal because Angola oh, are quite good. very much yeah. a, an African powerhouse of, of basketball. Uh, but yeah, the 2011 under 17 FIFA World Cup is the only other tournament I can find uh, Rwanda playing in. And they had two defeats and a draw in that. So this is possibly the greatest ever achievement by a team or, or in team sport in Rwanda's history. And then, when they qualified uh, for this tournament, we knew we were going to get some relative quality out of the African qualifier. You know, when you have a nine-team qualifier to come out and, and to be in this tournament, you know that you've had to go through some rigorous tests to be a good side, and Rwanda have, have shown that. And this is just another ticket, another testament to everything that's been done, not just in, in Rwandan cricket and to build Rwandan cricket in, in this space uh, and the Gahunga Cricket Stadium and everything that goes with that, but the region is booming. Um, the East African sort of region between themselves, Tanzania, Uganda, they're all pushing each other to be better cricketers every single day, both in men's and women's cricket. And, and this is the result you get, you know, when you have all this match practice uh, and you take on uh, a team that probably by reputation or by, you know, just by pure full membership, you would, you would think would be uh, stronger. And everyone is calling this a shock. And, and in some degrees, it is somewhat of a surprise, but I think when you pit player v player, I think the result kind of, again, shows uh, the collective quality of, of, of Rwanda and, and all of their cricket. You know, Gahunga had more T20Is last year uh, between men's and women's cricket than any other ground in the world. I think they had over 100 matches there, um, which is just astonishing, astonishing to think. Um, 
and that ground gets so much Sharjah of East Africa. It is the Sharjah of East Africa, even though they, they call it the, the Lord, the Lords of Africa as well. It's just got so much going for it. Um, and, you know, to think that they were members less than 20 years ago, I think it's 20 years this year, uh, they became ICC members under the affiliate membership and then became associate members once the, the term became universal in, in the space. It, it's a phenomenal achievement and, and we haven't even talked about uh, the human element of, of Rwanda and, and the human rights troubles of the mid-90s and into the early 2000s. And for something like this to blossom out of all of that, it, it just goes to show that, you know, a, a country who puts their efforts into something and, and builds something from the ground up with little inhibitions. As you said, Nick, you know, you could tell that some of the batting, the background is not really conventional cricket, but it's so effective. It's so mightily effective. And they were just so classy in in every regard and you know in the next 10 years it's so exciting what any of these players could become in the international game whether or not you know we see it through uh senior global tournaments it remains to be seen but it's just an unbelievable achievement and it's a credit to to everyone in Rwanda and everyone in East Africa yeah it's a it's a great story and it's it's I guess you could kind of compare it to the Afghanistan rise on the men's uh, side of things you know we don't need to get into the you know how long Afghanistan's going to stay a full member or any of that stuff but just in terms of the the fact that they're building a, a cricket scene out of a, um, a, some terrible conflict and and they're relatively new members um, and they've just they've managed to make a, a lot of progress in a very short amount of time just on that um, that point you made about the nine team qualifier do you reckon Zimbabwe makes it out of that qualifier probably not honestly yeah if hypothetically four members had to qualify on merit? I don't think they do. Um, and I think we saw it there. Uh, and it's definitely something that will be reassessed once they go into another cycle for this and, and how they want qualification to go. Because, yeah, you can look to the Americas and say the same thing about the Western News and well, USA. Yes. I, I understand that, you know, they're probably both, say you were to include two countries out of the Americas and, and say you were to have more teams that entered that, that qualifier, you would probably still think the West Indies came out of it. But yeah, there's another argument for, for that case as well. It, it's it's because it's so untapped and because you've got so many different situations, especially in under-19 women's cricket, you do find yourself in situations like this. Uh, and Indonesia take on Ireland in their last group game. We'll talk about Indonesia more in a moment after their game against the West Indies. But Amy Hunter's out of the tournament for Ireland and we're recording as people probably can work out before that game is played out. But, you know, I look at that match and who knows, like Indonesia might be able to pull something out of out of the hat too against another full member, albeit in a different region. So, yeah, it goes to show that, you know, that there will be conversations and there will be lessons that have been taken out of this this tournament for, for organisers and for everyone else as well. So, yeah, we, we talk about that, um, that Indonesia-West Indies game actually. And first of all, it is interesting to note that a pretty similar West Indies team lost 4-1 in a T20 series uh, against the uh, American, the USA under-19s. And the USA under-19s haven't looked as good as, say, Indonesia or or certainly Rwanda. Uh, so that's kind of an interesting barometer. But in, in this particular match, West Indies, the, the under-19s women scored 176 for three. Uh, the un- Indonesians could only manage uh, nine for 99 in response off their 20 overs. Uh, but, you know, there's some positive signs... Um, you know, Trishan Holder really uh, made a big difference there for the West Indies. She hit 35 not out of 14 
deliveries with, with two fours and three sixes at the back end there. And Zaida James, obviously at the top of the order, 55 off 37, uh, high quality bat. She'll probably play a fair bit of cricket for the senior West Indies team um, in the not too distant future. I'm just thinking, you know, looking at the way they played, Indonesia, they didn't field very well. They they dropped a number of catches. They, there were a number of kind of efforts in the field where the, the ball kind of went through their fingers or, you know, they weren't quite in position very well, which to me indicates that, uh, again, similar to Rwanda's uh, batting performance, you know, Indonesia are leaving wickets on the table here. Speaking of Trishan Holder, you know, her first six, um, when I think she might have been on about 10, goes through the fingers of of, uh, of Lee Chow on the boundary. And, you know, if, if they take that, maybe, you know, maybe the West Indies only score 145 instead of 175. So, you know, it's it's things like that. Or, yeah, you know, I mean, James, when she brought up her 50, could have been caught on the boundary, although that didn't end up costing them too much. Um, a couple of other edges and, and, and whatnot. Um, Merciari got Sauer's edge. It was off a free hit, but, it, you know, the wicketkeeper dropped it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Indonesia were a bit sloppy in the field. And one intri- I guess I think the point I would make is that they were put under pressure, uh, which kind of maybe something they're not very used to. You know, they, they beat PNG to get through. That was the only qualifying they had to do. Um, so now it's a step up in quality. And you have batters kind of pushing them. Um, running that extra run, uh, hitting it a little bit harder. So, you know, it, it looks like they can, I think, probably raise their level with with continued exposure, which, again, is why it's so important. Uh, if they do beat Ireland, you know, quite possibly they can. Uh, they can make it through to the next round and get a whole bunch of extra matches in the, well, Super 6 phase, but with 12 teams. Very strange, convoluted format. I'm not really sure why they didn't just copy the men's under 19s format which gives basically every team almost the same number of matches with the you know the 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 teams eliminated in the group phase uh playing off for the the plate tournament instead of the main trophy and uh which i think that actually is a much better system because you know it allows these these teams even the ones who get knocked out early to just have a continued exposure at, at a high level and that's very helpful for their players but yeah i mean indonesia they have good material to work with. You know, their, their bowling actually looked sound with the skills. Their, the spinners were crafty. Um, they have some seam options. So if they, you know, if they keep working on it, again, these are under-19s kids. So in a few years' time, if their spinners keep working on their skills, keep working on their accuracy, the seam bowlers get a little bit quicker. They're already swinging it nicely with the new ball and even with sort of throughout the middle overs. So I'm, I'm thinking that could be kind of an improved Thailand with a, a predominantly... Uh, spin attack kind of choking off the runs and actually with some some good seam options which which Thailand have been lacking in in recent times um Wasika was disappointing uh the the opening bowler she was you know she conceded a number of wides in in her first couple of overs spraying it down leg and 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 pushing it too far along the tram lines uh outside off but she also had a no- couple of nice uh in swingers Chiao was was very good the off spinner um I, I was very impressed with the way she uh, she created a couple of half chances. Um, you know, she got hit away for a couple of fours as well, but you know, that's that's forgivable for a spinner. She was probably uh, the the most uh, impressive of all the bowlers. I think um, she's she's got, yeah, she's got the tools. You know, she she gets flight, she gets drift, which is something that you don't see that often, um, especially you know at, at this kind of associate 
junior level, so she looked sort of a well-rounded bowler already and getting a decent amount of turn off the pitch. She also, uh, her bowling was relatively accurate, except for a couple of times where she sort of, sort of lost it a bit and, and, yeah, got put away. But, you know, she backs herself to push the tram lines. And, and I think that shows a, a bit of courage in the way she bowls. And I think, yeah, with, with good development, she's a, she's a real prospect. And, and I mean, we, we're talking about women's cricket developing we, you know, did just this week we've we've seen the news of the women's IPL uh, getting. I think it ended up being something like a, a million US dollars per match or, or some crazy amount, which is maybe the highest paid um, broadcast deal for any women's sport league. That that might require a fact check, but it, it's definitely up there. Yeah, it'll be close. Um, so you know that could be transformational for women's cricket. Uh, I don't know how many associate. Players are going to get a look in. Uh, I don't know how many overseas players are going to get a look in. Maybe you know India tries to prioritise their own development and and whatnot, or maybe they they make it kind of more international league. But you know there are opportunities available for female athletes coming through on the cricket side of things. And you know in Indonesia where cricket's a relatively minor sport that that's kind of on the up, that's a, that's pretty persuasive. You know if if girls see someone like a you know, let's say a Chow in, in a few years' time gets an IPL contract in a very rich league, that could have a big difference. Same for an Ashimwe or a Tuyazere from Rwanda. Or, um, I mean, we haven't even talked about the UAE or, or Scotland or USA. So, you know, there's there's a lot of opportunities and a lot of exciting times ahead for women's cricket. And I just hope that they manage to, to get it developing outside the traditional power centres rather than making the same mistakes that men's cricket has, which is, you know, the uh, <laughs> the well-known insularity and, and the fact that it really is only strong in a handful of countries. Uh, and that's basically led to a lot of the, the current problems with the way cricket's run today is a direct result of, of that insularity. So there's a there's a really shining opportunity here for women's cricket to, to break that cycle and to break cricket out of its traditional insularity, which is, yeah, really exciting. A couple of teams we haven't had the chance to talk about as yet and will uh, in complete depth next week. Scotland finishing fourth in Group D. They missed out on a Super 6 spot. UAE, the other associate in that group, have gone through. They finished in third. As mentioned, Indonesia uh, struggling there, but unfortunately unable to get over the line against Ireland. They finished in fourth. Zimbabwe beaten out by Rwanda for that spot in the Super Sixes and USA finishing fourth in Group A. Plenty to talk about in USA cricket and right now, Nick caught up with Nate Hayes. Well, there's a lot going on this week in American cricket, um, most of it on the administrative side as seems to be a depressingly common occurrence at the moment in USA cricket news. We do have Nate Hayes on the line, uh, Emerging Cricket's USA correspondent, and it's sort of like, a, you know, how long's a piece of string? Where do we begin with this? I think the latest round of um, infighting was kicked off by... Uh, a situation with a certain Patricia Whitaker. Maybe you can explain uh, who that is and and how she fits into the the USAC picture and and how everything kind of sparked off from there. Yeah, well, for starters, the uh, Nominating and Governance Committee, also known as the NGC, recommended Patricia Whitaker for the Independent Director role, which she was given. She was a selector less than two years ago for the women's set up and according to the constitution you you can't have been involved in usa cricket as an officer or an employee 
or any real relation to USA Cricket for the last three years. Well, just in 2021, she was a selector for the women's teams. So that should, by the Constitution, kind of disqualify her for the role of independent director. Uh, which, you know, doesn't sound terribly independent based on the, the, the definition. Now, that's just one problem. Going back to the formation of the Nominating and Governance Committee, the NGC, there are two appointments to that committee that seem to be, you know, unconstitutional, that are pretty, pretty obviously unconstitutional. Vince Adams, head of the NGC, he continues to function as an officer in his role on the U.S., cricket committee which is um he's currently on the u.s cricket committee and now now in order to be a member of the nominating and governance committee uh, the the constitution doesn't really say you, you can't have been involved in usa cricket for three years or anything but it does say you can't currently be involved with usa cricket and he continues his role on the usa cricket committee under sushil nadkarni who is the head of that cricket committee then you have nisarg patel who is a paid current player for usa um, notable player, one of the most consistent producers over the last few years for, for USA Cricket. He is also on that nominating and governance committee. And so is uh, Sarah Farouk, who hasn't played for USA for a little while now. She she seems fine. I, I don't think there's any violations with her, but it looks like there's violations with Vince Adams and Nisarg Patel on that committee. And they are they're in charge of deciding who's eligible to run for any of these director spots that we're going to be voting for over the next year. And and we could have as many as three elections for director spots this calendar year. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's not a good look when the people in charge of eligibility are maybe not eligible themselves. So that situation with Patricia Whitaker and um, I guess the... The committee itself kind of kicked off some internal conflict here. Nadkani was then the victim of, well, I would say it just seems like a, a pretty minor technicality. Uh, Sushil Nadkani, of course, being one of the USA Cricket's best ever players, uh, certainly he has a pretty good case to being their best ever uh, batsman. And uh, But he was <laughs> apparently ruled ineligible because... He hadn't submitted a resume, which seems very strange to me. Can can you explain what's going on here and and what Nadkani's role is within the administration? Sure. Currently, he's on the on the board of directors. Uh, currently, he's league director on on the board, and he's running for the player director role right now against Srini Salvar, who, if you'll remember, just a couple of years back, actually sued a, a group of U.S. directors, including Sushil Nakardi. Uh, but yeah, Sushil has has served as a player in, in USA Cricket. He played for USA Cricket for like a 10-year stretch. Of, uh, like you said, one of the best players that we've had, probably the best batter that USA Cricket has had in, in recent memory. And not only that, but he's currently on the board. <laughs> he's currently the head of the cricketing committee, who Vince Adams is under. And Vince Adams is saying, you didn't give us a resume. So how are we supposed to know that you're eligible? I mean, come on, give me a break. That's that's quite the technicality. <laughs> I mean, the guy who's saying we need your resume actually serves under him in the U.S. Cricket Committee. So that's bizarre to me, like quite the technicality. It seems like they just don't want him to run against Srini Salver, who's, uh, you know, a lot of people have pointed out to me that he is pretty good buddies with Nassar Patel, another guy, a player who played with Srini Salver, who's on the nominating and governance committee, who's selecting who is eligible to run against Srini Salver. So that's, to me, I, that looks like a conflict of interest. I mean, whether or not they're best buddies or anything, they did play together. And um, like I said, Srini and Avinu Pasike also sued Sushil Nalkarni and others. So it, it, it doesn't look good. At the very least, it looks really, really bad. And also... Another thing worth pointing out is last week, 
USA celebrated the being recognized by the the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee. And per the Constitution, they're supposed to have one person in the nominating and governance committee that is appointed by the United States Olympic and Paralympic Organization. So they don't have one right now. And instead, you you have to think, okay, well, who would whose role would that be? You got to think it would be probably Nassar Patel's. If they have to adhere to the Constitution and somebody has to go out, you know, it looks like that would be the the person who who uh, who would be replaced there. But obviously, you have two out of the three who are fairly unconstitutional on its on 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 the face of things hmm. it does seem like uh maybe settling of scores is going on here and it, it yeah it's all a bit incestuous as as these kind of board situations in i guess uh, associate cricket <laughs> uh it, it, it often is like that um ned carney uh having been uh, you know receiving this uh, allegation that he was ineligible, he's hit back uh, in the last couple of days with an email joined by quite a few um, uh, admins and, and other people involved in, in USA Cricket, basically <laughs> saying that USAC itself is um, ineligible. Uh, so kind of throwing the accusation back on them and, and pointing out their own uh, constitutional breaches. Uh, the email, which Emerging Cricket has seen, lists seven constitutional breaches. Could you go through what uh, Nad Carney's uh, side of the story is, I guess? Yeah, well... It- uh, described are the infractions that I've already spelled out: the appointment of Vince Adams and the uh, the inclusion of Nassar Patel, the fact that they don't have a USOC appointed person in the NGC, and then you have the Patricia Whitaker incident. Um, you know, her being a USA Independent Director in spite of having been a selector recently, and then you also have they've just apparent according to this e- this email, which was sent on behalf of 21 notable leaders around the country involved in cricket most of them league presidents board members former board members they disqualified or the ngc disqualified several applicants for the for the post of independent director league director player director and individual director uh without providing a reason or doing so on flimsy grounds and this is where they give the example of Nar- not carney being denied because he didn't provide his uh his resume and then so that's the <laughs> fifth thing right there and then we have uh, issue where so- several leagues were rendered ineligible for failing to meet unspecified criteria, not called out in the Constitution. So, uh, you know, there's a couple examples listed for that. And then finally, there's another issue where apparently they're they're claiming that several international players who have represented USA on the national team in the past decade have been improperly classified as individual members, thus preventing them from their right to vote for the USA player director in the upcoming election. So that's the seven issues. Um, I have heard since that at least some of the sixth issue that was listed, some of the leagues that were rendered ineligible to vote have had that eligibility restored at least some. I don't know about all of them because I don't know about all the cases that they're referring to here. And this is like an allegation here. This I should I should uh, make that well known. This is the this is part of the email from Ned Carney and twenty others. Yes, this is this is coming from Ned Carney's side, obviously. Yes, yes. So so I I want to make that clear. So yeah, I have heard, however, directly from at least one league president that that was told that they wouldn't have a vote. I have heard that that has been rectified, but. I have also heard that the board or that Atul is kind of digging in his heels about a lot of the other issues. That would be Atul Rai, the chairman of the USA Cricket Board. Right. So if we're coming to an impasse here, I guess what are, what are the options on the table? You know, if USAC itself is 
in breach of its own constitutional, does that mean what more lawsuits? Um, does that mean ICC intervention? Does that mean they get in trouble with the Olympic Committee right after they've been accepted? What's going to happen? Well, I, all of those things are on the table. Uh, the U.S. Olympic Committee, they hold national governing bodies to a standard, of course. Um, so, you know, any type of complaints uh, that they receive, they're going to take seriously uh, when it comes to a constitutional violations. So, you know, that's definitely on the table. I think most likely thing that's to me, the most impending thing is that there's probably going to be some some more lawsuits here for for USA Cricket. Hopefully, the ICC can kind of step in a little bit and and nudge things along in in the right direction. But you know, it we can't always turn to the ICC to fix all of our all of our problems. You know, it, I that's not something that the ICC is really always happy to do. So. Yeah, I think there's going to be lawsuits. It's really a shame that this stuff continues to plague us. I think a lot of it is truly ideological differences. I think a lot of it boils down to people who have ideas about the way that, that things should go uh, that disagree with each other. But we have this culture here in, in the USA with our national product where everyone thinks they're going to do something better than, than the guys who just had the reins. And they want to scrap everything and put their own stamp on it. They want to burn it all down and, and put their own stamp on things instead of building on what's come before them. And, you know, like I said, a lot of that's genuine ideological differences, and a lot of that is ego. So, unfortunately, uh, we, we seem to be spinning tires perpetually. Well, I mean, it's, it's certainly unhelpful for growing the game. And I don't know. I mean, can, can these people not see that? Have they lost sight of the fact that their purpose here is to grow cricket in the US rather than pushing their own little careers in... Uh, I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me, you know? It's American cricket. How can you have such a big ego about such a, you know, marginal sport in, in the US? I don't get it. Well, all you have to do is look at the local levels and you see a lot of the same things happening in local levels. And, and that's even funnier to see because this is local cricket. This should all be about growing the game. It should all be about giving people opportunities to play a wonderful game and making sure that you preserve something nice. And 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 it should all be about growing the game. But it's so seldom about growing the game when you get certain personalities get involved, I guess. It's 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 a real shame. You know, I don't obviously, you know, I don't have the answers for everything. I don't know why things are always the, the way that they are. But um at the crux of a lot of this is the debate between a lot of people feel that the national governing body is threatened by the presence of Major League Cricket. And if you look around, you'll see a lot of people on online saying, oh, well, we've sold the game to this franchise league. And this is a debate that happens all, all over the world when it comes to cricket. There's one argument that wants to, that says, you know, nothing should be above the the national governing body. That should be, you know, the end all be all. But like, I think people need to understand that, like, what's the purpose of, of thinking these ways? Like, if you really look at cricket, there's kind of three camps here in the USA. There's right now, let me just say right now, there's the people who are in full support of this current um, board led by Atul Rai. There's people who are in support of kind of like the, unfortunately it's going this way, but there's people who are in support of Major League Cricket over the national governing body. And then there's people who just want to see cricket succeed. And so there's kind of three camps and they don't care. There are some people in this country, they just don't care who takes us there. They don't care if the national governing body takes us there or if Major League takes us there. They just want cricket to work out here. And so 
to me, that's the way you got to think about things. You got to think we just want cricket to work out here, you know, and it's not going to work out when you have these types of problems on the board where everything's at, at, a, at a stalemate, where you're con on, under constant threat of potentially being suspended by the ICC. It, it, you're not going anywhere then. So you have, you know, you just have to look at how can we get to where we're going and how can we make cricket popular here? And and let's face it, in this country, we're in a country that, you know, franchise sports reigns in this country and international sports isn't as big of a thing. So like if you talk to uh, look at look at baseball, you can talk to any general manager in Major League Baseball and ask them if they know who runs USA Baseball and they're going to tell you they have no idea. It's things like that. So I think people, some people are worried that the franchise product is going to take over and, and, and rearrange the priorities. But right now, I just like to know what the, what the national governing body's priorities really are. Yes. Well, obviously, when boards are, you know, focused on internal bickering rather than, you know, their ostensible role of, of growing the game, it never really uh, works very well for the game, as we saw you know, a year or so ago with a lot of the internal disputes in the KNCB and the Dutch board being hit by personal conflicts. And I'm sure we could <laughs> we could spend a, a number of podcasts listing uh, governmental issues in, in other associates and, and indeed full members. So I guess it, it's not it's not just USA cricket, but somehow most other boards seem to kind of mostly make it work. Do you think some of the problem is that uh, because a lot of the, the administrators are people who've moved to America probably as adults, they don't necessarily uh, have such a an intuitive understanding of the American sports culture and scene? That I mean, I think that's definitely some of the problem. I, I think, I mean, you know, there are so many, so many different things that contribute to, to the problems. Uh, as far as board members go as far as candidates go it would be a relief for me to see a candidate for election who's paying attention careful attention to what's happening who can see what's working what the ngb has done that's worked instead of oh, a lot of these guys focus so much on their own ideas that they come into this without any good grasp of the history of what's been going on in the country there are it, it's un, it's really remarkable it's really remarkable to me how many candidates for this stuff don't know about you know uh, I've met people who th they've never read a single thing that emerging crickets <laughs> published for example you know <laughs> and that's I mean that's the gold standard right there you know well, if, exactly if you're not reading emerging cricket what are you even doing <laughs> right right but you know what I mean they, they don't they're not abreast of what's going on they, they find one or two things to that really it's almost like their entire strategy is to just get elected so they find a couple of things to dig in on and um it it's really a shame i would like to see some candidates out there that pay attention to what's happening that understand what the challenges are and that have you know some vision that's applicable directly to our country and you have to know about the other sports in the country for that you have to know about the ncaa i made an article i wrote an article why we're so far away from the ncaa uh, from NCA being let me let me qualify this for people who don't know, the NCA is the highest level of collegiate sports in, in the United States of America, scholarships and things like that. Anything you see, anytime you see collegiate sports, uh, you know that you've ever heard about, it's probably NCAA. So people will talk about, oh, we got to get cricket in NCA, but they don't know what the obstacles are for that. I wrote an article about that, why we're away far away from that. We need more women's participation. We need to start with, you know, start small and build towards it. And it's a 20 year process. So we're going to be, we could be full members before that even happened. So I would like to, if anybody's listening to this who wants to run <laughs> for USA a director, you know, pay attention to what our, what, what we can accomplish in this country. Uh, what our obstacles are in this country 
and un- understand the sports landscape of the country and not just the culture of cricket uh, in this country. Well, that sounds like uh, pretty good advice. Whether anybody involved in USAC will follow it uh, remains to be seen. Hopefully, uh, we can have some better news uh, over the next little while with obviously the uh, American Under-19s women's team competing at the Under-19s World Cup. Um, so that in itself is, is good news. And I think that reminds us all why, you know, these administrative problems are such an issue because they're, you know, overshadowing and undermining the progress, the genuine progress that is being made by the, the parts of American cricket that are that are actually working, which, you know, the women's program, obviously there's a lot more work to be done, but um, it's it's certainly got better in the last few years. And and that's a, that's a you know, that's a really good story in, in American cricket. And instead of, uh, you know, building on that and, and highlighting that, they're just kind of focusing on themselves. And, and yeah, it, it is it's just very disappointing. And <laughs> I'm reminded of um, the associate and affiliate podcast back in the day with Russell Degnan and Andrew Nixon. And, you know, they'd have a lot of episodes talking about uh, USACA as, as it was known back then and their various administrative shenanigans. And as, as they said then, I, I repeat now, you know, <laughs> the fact that we're talking about it might be good for our content, but it's actually very bad for the game and it, and it does have direct consequences. And ideally we wouldn't need to be having these episodes because everything would be running smoothly, but that seems to be a long, a long way off. Yeah. And, 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 you know, what, what is interesting is yes, these issues do overshadow a lot of the progress made, you know, yes, the women's game has made massive steps this uh, in the last couple of years. And yes, it has a really, really long way to go. But um, there have been some really good strides. The women U19 did go down to South Africa. And even though um, listening to Shiv, uh, the head coach, talking about how underprepared they were, in fact, probably more preparation went into them going into South Africa than I've seen ever for any team going on any tour in in this country. So, uh, you know, we still have a long way to go. So they still have to get better and they still have to be more prepared, but there are good things happening. Now, the interesting thing about that, and yes, it's, it's being overshadowed by this, but throughout the USA cricket community, there's actually been the the bigger scandal was, you know, Lisa Ranjik not being involved in the U19 team than, than this potentially unconstitutional nominating and governance committee. There's been way more talk about the the snub in selection for uh, Lisa Ranjit. So I think people are paying more attention to what's happening on the field than what is happening in the board. And that that actually might be part of the problem. Well, thanks as always, Nate, for keeping us up to date on all the latest in uh, USA cricket. Um, hopefully we won't need too many more of these in the next little while. But uh, yeah, not looking good. Uh, but yes, thanks as always for taking some time out of your very busy schedule to speak to us on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Absolutely. It's always fun to chat with you.